Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of 2023 of Let's Talk Micro. I hope all of you had a nice break, a nice holiday, some good time off, you know, a nice time off if you ended up taking time off. I know I took a few days off, but I also work and I was very busy at the hospital. So if you ended up taking some time off to spend it with family, friends, I definitely hope you enjoyed it. It's definitely great to be back here talking to all of you. As always, thank you for the support. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, Overcast, GoodPods. Whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro, and on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and follow me on social media. On social media, I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. And of course, as you subscribe to the podcast and you download episodes, go ahead and leave a review. I mean, if your platform, if the application that you use allows you to leave a review, go ahead and do so. Like Apple Podcasts, for example, you know, it allows you. I know Spotify lets you rate the episodes. So if you're able to leave a review, go ahead and do so. If not, at least rate it. And on social media and on email, uh, let's talk micro at outlook.com. Any feedback, any suggestions, any podcast topics, go ahead and leave them. Anything is always welcome and appreciated. So definitely so many topics to talk about. And those of you that listen, you know, because of the organisms and the biochemicals and the reactions, you know, stay tuned. I'm definitely going to be bringing in more episodes about that. But this episode is going to be about, it's, about, it's an interview episode, but it's about a test. And these two guests... I definitely know them, and I'm not going to mention it in this podcast, but definitely my employer at times, you know, it has been mentioned in interviews that I have given. So as always, I like to pose a disclaimer that my employer has no affiliation to this podcast, so no affiliation to Let's Talk Micro. But the two guests that are in this episode, I know them and I have worked with them. And they come to the podcast to talk about a test that was developed. And this was a PCR test that detects three different types of amoeba. Those of you that are microbiologists, you're familiar with amoeba. You know, they are protozoa and they are free living. Those of us that live in states where you have warm bodies of water, you're definitely familiar with amoeba. And of course, you know, cases of amoeba, you know, if you compare them with all the bacterial cases that as microbiologists we see in a as, you know, as also with viruses, if we compare the amoeba cases, you know, it's not seen as often. However, most cases end up being fatal. You know, if you, they're untreated, they end up being fatal. So the three amoebas that the test can detect, they belong to the genera Nigleria, Acanthamoeba, and Balamuthia. And one day I will do an episode about amoeba. So Nigleria fowleri which is a species that has been isolated in cases of primary amoebic meningencephalitis, is the one that we tend to be more familiar with. You know, the person gets it when exposed to fresh water, and there are many challenges well, as far as detecting it in the lab. 
One of them is training personnel to identify it. Because, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we don't see it as often. So it's not like with bacteria that we can train microbiologists in the lab to recognize, let's say, E. coli, Klebsiella, that we see many, you know, we subculture to plates, we see it, we show it to text, we make slides, we do gram stains. So this is not seen as often. So getting good samples in the lab so we can show text to recognize it, it's definitely challenging. And plus, of course, those of you that work in microbiology, a lot of times, you know, like large labs, they tend to be compartmentalized. And as the shifts go, like second and third shift, you know, the training is not the same. A lot of the plate reading, the slide reading, you know, it, it tends to happen on first shift. Everyone should be trained the same, but there are many challenges and many logistics, unfortunately, to getting that in place. So in summary, since you don't have that many cases, it is not seen as often. It is hard to train the text to recognize it in the lab. And at the same time, not many labs bring tests to identify it, especially a test you know, like the one that this episode is about. But one thing is essential, which is identifying it. Because cases of PAM, which is primary amoebic meningencephalitis, they are fatal if untreated. And typically death occurs three to seven days after the onset of symptoms. So in this episode, Dr. Jose Alexander, who's a microbiologist and director at Advent Health, and Dustin Evans, which is a microbiology laboratory supervisor, they joined the podcast to talk about this PCR test, like how it was developed, how it compares to similar tests, and more. So let's go ahead and listen to this interview. So on today's episode, instead of talking about bacteria, we are talking about amoebas. And today I get to do it with two microbiologists from Florida. There's this article about a PCR for amoeba that was developed in a microbiology laboratory. So with me today, I have two guests, Dr. Jose Alexander and Dustin Evans. Dr. Alexander and Dustin, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Thank you, Louis. Happy to be here. Thank you, Louis. Definitely my pleasure. So let's go ahead and start with a, an introduction for the audience, please. All right. Uh, my name is Dustin Evans. I'm one of the lab coordinators at microbiology at Advent Health Orlando. So I'm Dr. Jose Alexander. I'm the medical microbiologist and medical director for the microbiology laboratory also at Advent Health Orlando. All right. So once again, thank you for your time. So um, let's go ahead and start just for the audience for a brief overview of, you know, the test says that, you know, it's, it screens for three amoebas. So can you start with a, an overview of these? For example, like how do you acquire them, symptoms, you know, spectrum of disease? Sure. Um, so there is three, there is multiple free living amoebas, but there are three of them. There are the, the ones that are known that are can infect human as what we call um, an accidental host. So the typical one is, the most common one is um, Nigleria fowleri. This is a Nigleria that uh, probably represents 95% of all the cases that we have seen in the United States. They live in warm uh, uh, body of water, as lakes, rivers. Um, they are common in the Southern states, but now that we have cases that have been seen on the North, um, these Nigleria normally infect humans um, invading uh, to the brain through the, um, to the nose. It's able to penetrate to the base of the skull 
and, and reach the brain and create symptoms similar to meningitis with a fast evolution and also with um, severe symptoms. So one of the um, difficult situation with this um, um, syn syndrome is that the reaction of the immune system actually create this severe reaction in the, in the, in the brain that is what causes all the symptoms and the rapid progression of the disease. So the other two amoebas that we are able to identify is Balamuthia mandrillaris. Um, cases of Balamuthia is a little bit less common. Um, it's just very few in the United States. And Acanthamoeba. Acanthamoeba species, another free-living amoeba, but it's more related to eye infection, um, especially with contact lenses. So all these three amoeba is able, based on the tests that we develop in Advent Health, um, are able to be identified directly from CSF. Okay. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think generally, yeah, even the, the public, for the most part, even outside of the microbiology and the science field, you know, maybe they might be a little bit familiar with Nigleria. Sometimes, you know, when they do like any medical show, maybe that's the one that they do present in those cases. So maybe the everyone might be somewhat familiar with it. Okay, so, and then, so in the lab, normally, how do you screen and test for amoeba? Uh, typically in the past, we've used uh, wet mounts, using microscopy, using a wet mount, uh, trichrome staining. The trichrome staining can stain the amoebas and the wet mount, you're looking for um, a motion, uh, you're looking for an amoeba that is moving around within the solution. Yeah, that, that, that was a test that we used previously. So Dustin team um, has been working with this test for a while. Um, that was probably our initial approach to be, a, be able to detect amoeba from CSF. So we take advantage of the movement of the amoeba um, to the CSF in, in, in a warm condition environment, normally in the incubator for a few minutes and then put in the microscope and we're trying to see the movement. One of the issues with that test is that some of the white blood cells, hemotaxis, the way that they move can mimic the way of amoeba sometimes move. So expertise is, is, is important, but since this test is very, very uncommon, it's really difficult to build expertise or skills. Um, so that was a test that we've been using. To reinforce that, we also use a um, trichrome stain. It's a stain that is used in microbiology to stain parasites. Um, and we use these two stain, two different techniques together to try to identify the amoeba. Normally take hours, if not a whole day. Um, luckily, we use this test for all, maybe over five years. Um, we never have a positive or any discrepancy with any of the clinical cases. That's why, one of the reasons why we also move to have a molecular diagnosis. Yeah, and the, also with microscopy, it's not very uh, specific. So you're not sure which organism you're seeing and it's not as sensitive because it only takes a few organisms to cause infection. Okay, and it's definitely you don't get that test that often. So yes, uh, you know, like uh, Dr. Alexander mentioned, a lot of the expertise and so training the staff, you know, it's, has to be one of the challenges for that. And and sometimes, you know, one of these things that the way that they happen, like normally this unusual test, sometimes you know they happen at the most unusual hours, and you don't have the properly trained personnel. So that's one of the challenges in the lab. So you kind of touch about 
implemented, you know, what led you to implement this test in the lab? I mean, anything else about that? Why just bring it in house? Why just make your own test? Uh, because of the serious nature with this disease and the uh, how fast it progresses and can lead to fatalities, uh, we thought it would be important to bring on uh, rapid detection by PCR. Okay. Yes, definitely. I agree with that. And and not only and we're in a state, yeah, with definitely plenty of uh, you know warm bodies of water. So it's it's definitely something uh, very useful to have in a, in a state in a laboratory in a state like this. So just for the for, you know for the audience, if another you know if another hospital wanted to implement this or had an idea like this, so where would they start? You know, like as far as materials, etc. Well, the test is no. I mean, the, the, the implementation of validation can be a little bit challenging, but it's not really as difficult as it looks like. Um, instrumentation is critical. Um, we use the platform by Luminex called ARIS because it's, it's, it's practical from the perspective of performing the test. Um, the reagents can be acquired for other companies. Um, some of the reagents come directly from Luminex. Um, the validation process is a lab-developed test. Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a process that is a little more time-consuming, more specimen. We need to have more data and being able to do different statistic analysis at the end to have the test approved. And as all um, technical validation, we need to make sure that we accomplish a good um, uh, statistic um, approach, right? With sensitivity, specificity, um, How? what is the minimum amount of amoebas that we can identify, all that have to be very, very clear, um, well specified. So any laboratory, they have the capability to be the instrument and have a little bit of the expertise with lab developed tests, will be able to develop this test in-house. Um, it's something that can take time. Um, you need to have some expertise on laboratory testing, but also in molecular diagnosis. So this is how the way that, that the, the the test was developed, and this is a process that other hospital can actually replicate. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so, as far as the turnaround test, the turnaround time. Sorry. Uh, so, how long does it take to obtain a result for this test? So, the test uh, itself, once it's started, takes about two hours to run the PCR. Um, it also uh, takes uh, uh, the sample preparation could take thirty to forty minutes. Uh, Quality controls are run with each patient test sample that we run, and those are frozen, so those must be thawed and then um, diluted. And each amoeba organism is run in tandem with the patient testing. So overall, it could take up to three hours. So that's definitely that's that's um, very quick, yeah. Considering so once you they provide the sample in three hours, okay. So as far as doing the validation. Uh, you know, and the implementation. So what worked well and what didn't? Uh, yeah, the validation uh, was challenging. It was difficult to obtain uh, actual positive patient samples due to the rarity of the disease. So we were able to obtain one positive CSF sample of, with Nyglaria, and that was all that we were able to get. So basically the whole validation was done using controlled materials. Yeah, that's one of the challenge with rare diseases, especially infection disease, um, when we don't have access to enough sample. And this is also the reason why you probably don't see this 
tests being um, implemented uh, across clinical trials to have FDA approved because the, the amount of specimen available are so rare. Um, the amount of samples required for a clinical trial is, is high. So that's one of the issues why it's, it's really difficult to find these tests available in the market. So using quality control, different quality control, different standards, uh, concentration um, as part of the validation from the detection of the low limit of detection, the, 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 the setup of what is the minimum amount of amoebas that we can identify, then make sure that we are able to con um, replicate that concentration. Um, being able to set up um, the CSF from patients um, um, that we obtain for other culture, for other type of um, tests, being able to spike those CSF with the, um, the amoebas to trying to replicate um, the nature of the human sample that we want to be receiving. Um, also, the important is to make sure to know that if in that CSF, if there is any potential interference that can um, that can produce a fail of a, of a false positive or false negative result on the test, so it's critical. Uh, make sure that if a patient also have a co-infection with a virus, let's say her herpes simplex, enterovirus, or even a meningitis for a, a Neisseria or streptococcus, um, make sure that if that is a co-infection, these other organisms are not gonna be interfering with the, the amoeba PCR. Okay, and I know that another challenge, because I was reading, right, that you started doing the research in 2019, and and as we all know, you know, in the 2020, we had this event called COVID, so that, that was definitely a challenge, so you had to kind of slow down, right, while you were validating this test? Yes, yeah, we had to reprioritize testing for COVID, as there were not many platforms for that test as well, so a lot of our validation focus for like since 2020, 2021, all was focusing on COVID testing. Yeah, we definitely had to, you know, adapt in many ways. Um, so as far as this, you know, this PCR test, so how does it compare to other PCR tests for amoeba? I know like the, the CDC has one. I mean, is that the only place that you will send it for testing? Um, the, the CDC have a PCR test that is specifically for Nigeria Foleri. Uh, we don't have the specification, what type of reagent or platform do they use? So there is, I will say, many different approaches for the PCR. Um, the CDC, this is a communicable disease, um, a, a suspicious, a suspected case with all the epidemiological uh, criteria of what exposure um, need to be notified to the CDC. So traditionally, the CDC um, has to review the case and they authorize or recommend the use of the PCR in their facility. So the specimen has to be sent over the CDC for testing. Um, this is a process that we still need to do clinically if we have a potential case in our facility with the advantage that since we have the test in-house, we can also receive an aliquot of the CSF and do the test in a few hours when the test is still is ongoing or still in discussion with the CDC. Um, there is some other facilities that are being able to implement some PCR locally. Uh, most of them are probably academic centers. Um, and some of them probably for, 
for for clinical sample, for human sample, but also probably for environmental samples. Um, so the advantage that we see with our tests, especially in our region, being in Central Florida, is that we can we are probably a few hours away from multiple hospital, major hospital around Florida, and even the south, the southeast of the state, I would say North Carolina and south of Georgia. Um, some of the specimen can arrive here in Courier in just a few hours. And in approximately five hour turnaround time, we can have a result back. So if, if we compare that with one 24 hour, probably 48 hours or more that we send to the CDC, then that's this still has to occur because that's part of the, 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 the process that the CDC required as part of the requirement for diagnosis. But we can provide a preliminary rapid result that could be as accurate as the one provided by the CDC. Okay, yes, and definitely time is, is essential on this because there, there are not that many cases, but most of them, when you know, they are, they are fatal. So having that, that uh, proximity, and like you mentioned, you know, uh, some adjoining states too that they can send their sample and in a few hours, we can start running it. That's very beneficial um, you know, for the patient. So is there anything else that you want to add about this test or anything? Well, you mentioned something important that is the time. So the disease advance, the, the, the whole syndrome advance pretty fast. Um, it's normally uh, some cases can be fatal in, in maybe week, week and a half. So the rapid diagnostic will allow clinician to improve the management. I mean, now it's a targeted treatment. There is very limited treatment available. There is a limited protocols available for these patients. Some of these patients require assistance in ICU. Um, and some of the um, 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 treatment, antimicrobials and, and other um, the medication that these patients have to receive when they have a positive diagnostic can be really toxic. So having a, a result, a reliable result that is positive, um, can guarantee that we have now have all the evidence and clean, uh, uh, the case is clear for the start this process of, of, of journey of treatment for this patient. But if we also have a patient that has criteria, but the test is negative, um, and if we have a reliable, highly specific and sensitive test, we can also guarantee that the patient will have the right treatment based on, on the reliable diagnosis. So, that's also one of the reasons, one of your initial questions, why we actually bring the test in-house. Well, is to be able to reduce this gap from the moment that is a clinical suspicious of potential amoeba case um, to the point that we can have a clear diagnosis, laboratory diagnosis that it actually is a patient that is infected or pre-living amoeba. So reducing that gap is critical for survival of these patients. That is that is great. Yes, and it's definitely yeah, it is critical. So well, um, you know, thank you definitely for you know having this test is very important, especially here in, in Florida. So you know, thank you both for your time and your work for implementing this test. You know, this is definitely beneficial for the patients, which at the end is what we do this for. Yeah, um, and I mean the the, the team and I've been held the, the the whole laboratory team. Um, Dustin leading that group right now um, is, is also is why we've been able to do this. Um, we, we are not a research facility. I mean, well, you know this very well. We are not a research facility. So 
we work, we just do clinical work. But we, we've been accumulating a good amount of knowledge and skills um, even before and during the pandemic um, in the development of lab and, and the, the creation of lab developed us. Um, and the staff being able to get involved and, and, and do some additional research, do testing. So I think that is being the, the, the critical aspect to bring this testing house. So there is facilities that probably have more resources and probably they don't have um, this type of test implemented, um, but it's, it's, it's the human factor that make a big difference. So, and I think that's something important in the clinical laboratory field. Make sure that the scientist working in the laboratory is not only seen as a staff doing, you know, a 10 or 12 hour shift, but also being involved in, and, and research opportunity, but also understanding and looking for solutions for those cases. Yes, 100% agreed. Yes, you know, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it is beneficial, uh, you know, for, for the growth, for the learning. And then the more you, you know, get involved and learn about all these different aspects, it ultimately makes you better at, at what you do because knowing, knowing all these different things, you know, you go in and, you know, with more care, more taking your time to understand things better. Um, definitely. And I like what you said, you know, definitely there is, there is a great team and, and I've been health. I can, you know, I'm witness to that. So Dustin, thank you for your, you know, your work. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long time coming. Like you said, since 2019, we started this validation. So we were really happy to finish it and have that test available for patients that may suffer from this disease. Okay. Well, uh, once again, you know, thank you, uh, Dr. Alexander and Dustin, for taking the time to uh, joining Let's Talk Micro to talk about this great test. Yes, thank you for thank having you us. Thank you very much. All right, my pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about this amoeba test. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. So definitely this is a beneficial test to have. You know, it can save lives and that's what it's all about. So definitely for this 2023, I wish you all a healthy and happy year. Started by bringing that passion to what you do. It makes you so much better at your job. So definitely continue bringing that motivation and that passion. It's so important. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. It's so great to be back. Until the next time, bye.